So we're going to start a new series today. I'm going to do the introduction today and we'll really dig in next week, but I, I thought we would take this week, the end of the year, to sort of set a foundation for where we're heading. And you may wonder why there's a big giant bowl of popcorn back there and why I'm calling this study Go Eat Popcorn. Uh, and there is a reason for it. So if you grew up in church, some of you might know it. It's a, it's a Bible mnemonic, a way to memorize some of the books. And it, it's a way to remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And what I want to do is uh, over this next chunk of time, we're going to dig into those letters together because they hold some of the most amazing truths for our Christian walk, then, then you, you will see. And so if we can sort of spend some time digging into it, I think it's really going to be helpful for you uh, on, on your walk in the Lord. So that's what we're going to do, and we'll, we'll do a little overview today. That's the intro transition, always a bad joke or two. Some guy, he told me he wanted to make a house out of car tires. I'm thinking that's probably going to take a good year or two. Good year. I thought I'd want a discussion with my wife as to how to arrange the dining room furniture, but when I got home, the tables were turned. All right, this one's really bad, but it's, it gets better. So this was texted to me in chunks. First chunk came in, two chunks. Uh, this was what it said. Orion's belt is a big waste, W-A-I-S-T, of space. I was like, wow, that's really bad. I, I can't even use that one. There was a little pause, and then the same person came in with a follow-up text. Terrible joke, only three stars. And everything was different. I can use that. Scripture reading here on purpose, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Powerful passage of Scripture. And throughout these four letters, we're going to encounter some amazing verses and ideas and thoughts about this Christian life. And so what I'm hoping to do in the weeks ahead is sort of take us all on a little journey through these four letters that Paul wrote to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians. Go eat popcorn. Hopefully you've made that connection. And he wrote these under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And under that inspiration, Paul sheds just amazing light on the amazing grace of God and also into the truths of the unconditional love of God. And so we want to dig into those because in understanding those things, we really begin to experience this life. So today, let's, uh, let's just talk briefly about, first, God's love for us. Point number one, God's love for us. Now, the, the unconditional love of God is based on God being love, not on us being lovable. It's based on His being love not on us being lovable. 1 John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
So when, when we sort of get a hold of that idea, it frees us from the performance trap that most of us live under. We uh, have a tendency to think we need to earn uh, rewards, to perform well. We're sort of trained up that way, so you get how that might happen. But um, also by nature, you know, the, the, the unredeemed part of our nature. We have this idea... Uh, and we seem to be moving towards that we have to earn God's love, that that's what we're doing. And that's why we tend to become more rule followers than people that are being led by the Holy Spirit. We move in the direction of following rules as if that's somehow easier. And this happens throughout the history of the church. The, the church, and even Paul says, you, you came to this whole amazing thing by grace. Why now are you so moving into trying to earn what's already come your way, what he's already given to you? It's our, we have a tendency to move in that direction. I think there's something about it that seems to us easier. That, that it, it's, if just tell me what the rules are and I'll do that. Rather than this idea of the, the, the fact that we need to be listening to and yielded to the Holy Spirit, that we have to participate in this relationship, which we should be amazed about that God, the Creator, everything wants to be involved in, and yet we have to pursue it, and we have to stay engaged, and we need to pray, and we need to, we need to read, we need to do those things to build this relationship. So often people will just say, well, tell me what the rules are. The problem is with rule following is that there's no life in it, and, and rule followers quickly become sort of judgmental, very critical, not very nice people to be around. And because they're not experiencing the life that they somehow know they should experience. And so we find that in understanding that, that He loves us and that what He wants from us isn't trying to... We're not trying to earn anything. He wants us to, to really understand that He's done all this for us in Christ, in the atoning work of Jesus. That means that our, our sin has been forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and, and it's enabled all those who put their faith in Him to be reconciled to God. That's at the heart of it, but He's done that. So we're, we're not having to do it by performing well. If you, if, in this whole series, if you didn't come away with anything else, but you came away with this, I think it would be a win. What we do is we realize that this life in Christ is lived in response to what He has done for us not in us trying to live in a way that gets him to respond to us. See, there's significance in that understanding. So we're living in response to what he's done for us, not living in, trying to live in a way that gets, that gets him to respond to us. And there's a big shift that has to happen in us for that to happen. And it's something that you really have to be aware of in order to make that shift. See, but, but in making that that's where we can rest in the fact that we can trust in Him because we'll yield to the Holy Spirit and He'll lead us in the right direction. And, and He'll show us how to go and what to do and He'll cause us to grow and mature in the Lord. And so God empowers us to live as we trust in the fact that He's done this for us. So these four letters we're going to dig into in detail, but let me just give you a quick overview of each one. Little letter A uh, in your notes, just write Galatians. And we'll look in this letter to the Galatians. And this, this is a great verse, Galatians 2.21. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul says this whole, and it sort of expresses the heart of the letter. Either, either you trust Christ for your salvation or you try to earn your salvation by rule following, which you can't do. 
And, and what we try and do so often, though, is we try and do a mixture, see? And you can't combine the two. It's either works or it's grace. It's not a combination of both. It's not merit. It's, it's grace. And so we have to get a hold of that. And it's this faith in Jesus that allows us to experience the abundant life that He came for us to have. So I, I often refer to this, and, and I want you to be thinking about this in the weeks ahead, is that we do this thing where we understand it's the, about the cross. It, 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 God made it happen. When we come to faith, we get it. That's what happened, and, and it's the cross. But then, over time, we start to add things to it. I call it cross plus. And so we, we start going, yeah, well, you, you, Jesus, that's it. You have to have Jesus. But then you also have to have this thing. And then you have to have this, and you have to have this, and you have to do this. And we start adding these pluses to uh, the cross. That, that's not Bible. It's not how it happens. It's got to be about Him and that He did it for us. If, if we're having to earn any of our salvation, it's not the gift that is promised to be. It's not how it works. So it's the cross. And I would challenge you that all of you have some cross plus thinking going on. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you've got some pluses in there. And you need to ask God and do business with God all the time and say, what's going on? What's plus? Because I just want to be someone that presents truth and lives cross to the best of my ability. But all of us have some plus in this. See, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the realization that, that we're all broken in this whole thing and that that's what continually moves us towards Him, knowing our need for grace and mercy. And instead of thinking that we've got it all figured out and we're going to earn everything and we're all really good because of the way we're doing things. So we, we balance those things. That happens throughout Galatians. Letter B is Ephesians. Little letter B. Uh, and I want to share this prayer from verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. And following, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe the power is like the working of his mighty strength. Paul's praying this prayer, and his prayer is that the Ephesians would, would get a wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of what they already have in Christ, and that they have the Holy Spirit to empower them to live in the way that makes a difference. So uh, it, we don't have to earn it. We've already been given it. And it doesn't make sense to try and earn what's already been given to you. And he makes that message very clear to the Ephesians. Now, the Philippians, this is letter C. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Most of you know this verse because I've encouraged you to memorize it for the last 20 years. Rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Philippians is this fascinating letter because Paul writes it while he's in prison. And yet his main theme is joy. In fact, he has to say it because the people that are reading are going, Paul, you're writing from prison. Huh? And he's saying, no, rejoice in the Lord always. Let me take, make sure you hear it. Again, I say, rejoice. See, and the idea that comes forth from Philippians is that when we sort of get our identity in Christ, we just did a whole series on that, we know who we are in Christ, then we can experience a measure of His joy regardless of circumstance. And He's letting us know in the hardest of circumstances that it's a possibility. 
We'll be digging into that. The letter D in your notes is about Colossians. You can write that in. Another prayer I wanted to share with you. Verse 9 of chapter 1. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, in Colossians, Paul is reminding everyone that we've, we've already been placed in the kingdom of His Son. When we, when we came into faith in believing in Christ and what He's done, the atoning work of Jesus, we've already been rescued from the dominion of darkness and placed into the kingdom of His Son, the kingdom of God. And, and, and so we've already been made worthy to share in the inheritance of the saints. And this is so important because as we get a hold of that truth that God chooses to see us in the perfection of His Son already, it breaks the power of the enemy to tie and ensnare us and steal life from us by using guilt and shame against us. Two of his favorite tricks. And when we can settle in the fact that, that we're already forgiven, that, that he's already done what needed to happen, it breaks the power of the enemy to use those things against us. And again, it frees us to experience the amazing life that he has for us. So we're going to be digging into all those things in the weeks ahead, and there's a whole lot of other stuff. That happens. The second thing that I wanted to talk about today, and the second point in your notes is, is this, is called illuminated reading. And uh, I want to sh- share a story with you to sort of talk about what illuminated reading is and what we're going with. So uh, if you were here last week, might have been the week before, I shared a little bit of our story about how um, when I was 25, Alice was 23, uh, the set of circumstances that brought us to a uh, relationship in the Lord, that we came to Christ. And I I shared that story about being a little Bible study and all the weird stuff that happened. Well, I want to back up just a little bit and tell you that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I, so I had no idea of the Bible or the stories in the Bible. We never went to church. And uh, it just wasn't how I grew up. In fact, I don't ever remember even hearing a gospel presentation uh, until I was 18. I was in college and uh, the only reason I heard it, I heard it sort of secondhand because somebody from one of the faith, uh, interfaith campus things had come in to talk to my roommate and I couldn't get out the door fast enough. <laughs> so, so I grew up here and never heard it. So, so it happens. Anyway, I was 18, then that happened. 19, for, for two summers, I, I worked on a power plant in Midland, Michigan uh, in, it's when I was off from school going to college. I thought I wanted to be an engineer. So I was going to school, and in the second summer, I was there, and I was working, uh, learning to be an engineer and all those things, working on this power plant. I befriended a guy there whose name, and you might have heard me tell part of this story before, his name was Bob Miller. And Bob Miller befriended me by seeing one lunchtime that I was there without any food, because the, the story is, I would just go every night after work to the Pizza Hut buffet, and for $4, I would just kill them. <laughs> And then I would survive on $4 until the next day. So I was making it work. But anyway, he saw that I didn't have a sandwich, and he had two sandwiches. And he said, 
would you like a sandwich? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a 19-year-old male. Who's not going to take a sandwich? Absolutely, I'll take a sandwich. And so he gave me a sandwich, and he became uh, my friend. And I always say this, too. That was the hardest one for him because after that, he brought me a sandwich from then on, but he always had three sandwiches after that. <laughs> that first one was a big sacrifice because I didn't get his normal two. But he gave me a sandwich, and he befriended me. And, let me, and I, I was a rough individual at that time. I... I, I my language was foul. I thought I knew everything. It just wasn't a... I was way out there and all sorts of things. And yet he, he would invite me to his home every now and again for dinner uh, and with his wife and his two children. And this... So, and this... Uh, to give you the picture, this was just a very nice Michigan Bible family. I don't know how to else to... Churchy family, just nice and looked right and really kind and were so kind to me and I didn't... And I was always... I was really rough and I'm like, you've got me around your kids and, and yet he did that and so... We became friends. He never pushed anything on me or anything, but I knew who he was and what he was. And it was all good. All right, so one day that summer, uh, my job, one of my jobs in the morning was to walk around this big power plant. It wasn't operational yet. And I would make sure that the safety people had gone around and done their job. It was a double check. Uh, and um, this big job, there was a lot of welding going on, and they used a, a gas called argon in this welding. And argon had this tendency of sort of escaping from where it should be, and it would find low spots to lie in, and it would just lay there, and it was very dangerous. And so they would go and check it out and make sure it wasn't in, in anywhere, and then I would go and make sure that they checked all the spots where we knew it was an issue. And uh, I'm on this um, process, and I hear a man yelling for help. Someone's fallen, help, help. So I go rushing over to where this spot was. And this, uh, he's standing at the top of a... It's a big steam tank. Um, and so when I say that big steam tank, uh, part of this nuclear job. It was about 25 feet in diameter and probably 35, 40 feet high. Uh, there was a, it was rounded on the bottom, but there was a grate that went across the bottom, so they could get down there and work. little opening at the top that you could go through and a little tiny ladder that went down so you could get down. And I, uh, in response to this cry for help, I ran over there, and I looked down, and I could see that someone had indeed fallen and was laying on the bottom of this tank. It was hard to see, but light, but... And I had just finished first aid in college, and so I knew that I could help. And I, I had a thought, I'm going to go down and help. I'm going to see if he's breathing. That's where we're going to go. So I charged down this situation. And I do get down there, and I remember checking to see if he's breathing, and then I don't remember anything else for a while. Well, what had gone on was that this tank had filled with argon. And so there's no oxygen. You're breathing, but you're not breathing oxygen, and your brain shuts off. It doesn't work on argon. And... Uh, you, you, you just stop thinking. And there was just sort of this black thing, you know, just boop. So I'm there for some length of time. The next thing I remember is my brain engages. And I, I try and take in this weird scene because by this time now there's, there's bodies scattered all over the bottom of this tank. And there's a guy in a weird suit and he's got a compressed air hose and he's spraying air in my face which is why my brain engages. Getting some compressed air, it's better than nothing. And I have a thought. I'm next, my next thought is, I really want to get out of here. <laughs> I remember thinking, you must leave. And uh, I got up and I stumbled over people and stuff and smacked into this ladder. And then I got another, he came over and gave me another shot of air. And I stood up and had that same thought, I have to get out of here. And so I just charged up this ladder. I started going up this ladder. Now, on the way up this ladder, very narrow ladder, I'm going up, and as I'm going up, I keep going to fall off because it's, my brain's not right yet, and I feel myself falling off, and yet there's somebody beside me 
with an arm around me who throws me back on the ladder. And this happens three times up at least on the way up. And I get to the top of the ladder with this guy's help and they sort of help me out. And I, I just start walking and they walk me around and I'm getting oxygen. And I basically walk this event off. Now, the guy who fell unfortunately didn't survive. And the other 10 folks that were down there, that's how many were down there, they all had to be pulled out with a crane and taken to the hospital where they all stayed for, for a couple of days. But I just walked it off. So the safety guy comes to me a little while later to ask me because they're thinking, you know, do you need to go to the hospital or anything? And I, I feel fine. Uh, I said, hey, listen, let me, I want to thank, though, whoever it was that was helping me on the way up that ladder. That was huge. And he looked at me and said, nobody was helping you up that ladder. In fact, we were all there thinking you were going to fall on us the entire time. I said, oh, no, no, somebody was there. He goes, I'm telling you, nobody was there on that ladder. Well, let me tell you, there was absolutely somebody going up this ladder with me who kept throwing me up on the ladder. I'll remember it vividly for the rest of my life. And when he was telling me there wasn't anybody, I was like, okay. Um, so I knew something had happened. So at that moment, I went from a spot where I wasn't much of a believer in anything, in fact, probably denied that there was an existence of anything, to... I definitely believe that something's going on now. <laughs> I definitely believe. And I, I told this story to my friend Bob Miller. And he, uh, I just have this thought that Bob Miller had been waiting 200 sandwiches for me to come. <laughs> He'd earned what he was about to say. And he says to me, why, why don't you come for dinner tonight? I thought, okay. And I, oh, he was probably really excited, right? So uh, I, I go over to dinner and, and I tell the story to the family and we talk about it. And he says, hey, can we go and talk? And so Bob and I go off in the other room. And we start to talk. And I got to tell you, he gives me a, I remember it, a tremendous gospel presentation filled with scripture. He leads me through what, what happened, what was going on. We talked about angels. We talked about all sorts of stuff, what he thought was happening. And then he talked about, you know, how I need Jesus. And he led me through it. And um, we got to midnight, and he said, you know, listen, you, you have to make this decision. You, you need to come to Christ. And it would be a better story if I could tell you that that's what I did, and we did great from there. But I, I looked at him and said, Bob, I can't do it. And I said, I'm just, I'm not ready or whatever. And, uh, you know, and I, I've, I've shared this since. I just couldn't see how there was any fun in life. Like I was having fun, which I wasn't. But still, that was my concern. And so I left it there. And uh, here's what Bob Miller did. I'll never forget it. He said, okay. And he was a little teary. He said, will you, will you take my Bible? And he handed me his Bible. Now, this is his Bible. 40 years later, I still have it. It's got his... And this is so... So at the time, I didn't know what a big deal this was, right? Because, you know, I hadn't had a Bible like this. But this is his Bible. It's filled with his notes. It's filled with his highlighting. They used to do this with Bibles. It's filled with his family tree. His record is in there. It's all in there. And he gives it to me and he says, will you take my Bible? So I said, sure. Now... For the next six years, I was all over the country and all over the place and often just with my car and, and moved into a lot of, you know, not good situations. On the light side, I did meet Alice in that time, and so that was a, a great blessing. But the Bible stayed with me. I was, it, it shouldn't have, but it was always there. And from time... I'm going to get to the point of the whole story. From time to time, I would try and read it, and it never made any sense to me. And I'd get frustrated, and i quit reading it. Well, the, the problem was with the Bible... See, it was with me. And here's what's going on. So 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they're spiritually 
discern. So, so all that time I've tried, never, never could get it. When I had that thing happen where we came to the Lord, when I was 25, I opened the book. Guess what? All of a sudden it made great sense. All of a sudden it was just like it popped open. It was the same book. The Bible hadn't changed. What had changed? Me. Because now the Holy Spirit was in me and he was showing me what the scripture was all about. John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is this idea of illuminating the scripture to us. It's what he does. He teaches us and he allows us to understand and to love what we're reading in the Bible. Before we begin our relationship with Jesus, our minds are clouded by sin and it makes the truths of the Bible very difficult to grasp or believe. In Christ, however, through the Spirit, our hearts and our minds are opened and turned in, tuned into the scripture which we can understand. Paul said in Ephesians 1, 17, 18, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So illumination is the work of the spirit. What I want you to do during the course of this series is this thing illuminated reading. Here's what I do. When I sit down to read, I'll pray, Holy Spirit, would you show me what you want me to see in your scripture today, in the word today? Show me. And he does. Illuminate it for me. And as I read, something will pop out of that passage. And I can pick the same chapter and read it over and over again, and it almost always is something new. He illuminates something new. And then what I do is I think about it. I ponder it. I pray about it. I research it. I Google it. I read commentaries about it. I'll talk to other people about it until I feel like I'm ready to go on to the next thing. I made everybody crazy. For about two years, I was stuck on a verse, do you really want to get well, Jesus says in John. Do you want to get well? And I just thought about it in so many different ways. Such a powerful verse. And I'll do that. I'll get a hold of something. But I want you to do that. So over this next little season, try and read a chapter of these letters. Just read a chapter a week. That's great. Read Galatians 1 this week. As you sit down to read, pray, Holy Spirit, would you show me? what you want me to see in the scripture today. And he will. See, nothing is by coincidence. God's at work. And God loves you where you're at. I was this way out, not good spot person at 19. And yet, can you imagine the love of God pursuing me with a sandwich? And then a guy who was willing to just hand me his Bible? Here. Wow. See, that's the God we serve. That's the God who loves us. And we live then in response to that love. And that's where we find life. So that's what we're going to dig into over the next period of time. And uh, let me just end by saying, go eat popcorn. <laughs>